This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. So, hello again, everybody. Today and tonight, we are going to be talking about English and Englishes, what to teach, what not to teach, and why it is so important to know how different these two things are. So be with me, tune in, and let me know what you think. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Great. Fantastic. Good evening, everybody. And I am so delighted that once more, I've got this chance, I've got this great opportunity to be with you all on Teachers Talk Radio. So tonight, we are going to be talking about uh, English and the English language. And we are going to be talking about why I believe the word, the English language, like the English, is not a perfect word anymore. You need, you definitely need Englishes because we are not simply talking about a language. We are talking about a language that you can use differently for different purposes. And of course, as a result, we don't have just one language and you can easily uh, talk about what you gotta do, what you shouldn't. I believe there is much more we gotta talk about. So, if you should ask, like, what I mean by the word English is, uh, I gotta tell you that, like, when we talk about English as a language, I believe it is, like, oversimplified. In other words, we may not know exactly how we can define this language because you can use English for a number of purposes and above that you can uh, simply uh, talk about the American English, you can talk about the British English, you can talk about the Australian English. So as you can see we're talking about a bunch of different things and of course on the surface uh, they are one thing and they're just a language, but you know how different these things can be and how different, of course, the, the, the lessons gotta be in a class. So that's why I believe we'd better be like fully cognizant of what we gotta do, what we gotta do, what we shouldn't do. Because for example, say you have a student and you want to be teaching uh, this person in particular to, for example, learn to work uh, at a company. 
So in that company, your, let's say, hypothetical student should interact with people who are from the Philippines and, uh, and they're all business people. So of course, I believe you shouldn't be teaching your hypothetical student uh, to know about like complicated grammar, sophisticated uh, sentences. I believe what you got to do in the first place, at least, is to make sure that your uh, student can uh, successfully and more importantly, effectively communicate with uh, his or her business partners and colleagues. So that simply, I believe, can drastically change the course because uh, it is very different. Uh, just imagine, for example, you've got a student, but in this very case, your student is getting ready to study at a Canadian university. That is a different story. So this person in particular, of course, needs to be articulate, but I believe uh, you do not need to teach this particular student, uh, for example, things that are very common at the workplace. For example, uh, this, this happens a lot. This is, I believe, uh, something that every teacher somehow knows and is aware of. But I believe if we paid attention to this a little more, this can be of tremendous help because it can help us design courses and more importantly, teach lessons, I believe, that are suitable for the students and it can help the teachers alike. There are a lot of books and a lot of courses that are simply on the English language and then students with different purposes and with different targets uh, are collected in one class and in, in this very class, they are taught, quote-unquote, English. But what they need is, like, completely different. So I believe this class is, like, not going to be at least as effective as it should be because you are simply and willfully ignoring your students' needs. So if you easily ignore what they need, then I believe it is quite counterintuitive because it is just, it is like the opposite of what it should be because you cannot simply run a class without analyzing your students needs and a class without needs analysis i believe is a huge waste of time and of course it's going to be an uphill battle for the teacher because the teacher might do her best might try really hard and we have, I mean, we see that on a day-to-day -day basis, the teachers make a tenacious effort, yet sometimes the outcome is not as great. I believe the reason why this keeps happening is the course is not suitable for the students, and then for the teacher, it is an uphill battle to try really hard to accommodate uh, and to provide the lesson uh, which is which is impossible because you cannot be, because for example when a student wants to go uh, I don't know study at a Canadian university and on the other hand a student wants to go to uh, I don't know to a company and work for a company and has I don't know um, 
for example, business partners, I believe that is kind of, I'm not saying completely, but to a very good extent, that is mutually exclusive uh, because they are, they need different things. Of course, what I'm talking about is not about the basic English because when it comes to the basics, I believe <clears throat> uh, they have a lot in common. Uh, problems arise when you just move and pass basic English. Then anything after that can fall through if you don't plan that meticulously. So we uh, tonight, uh, of course, we should be talking about uh, core items, non-core items, what to teach, what not to teach, uh, because I believe that is all that is also of uh, you know significant import significant importance uh, because once you uh, do not know what you should do, as I told you before, no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, it is going to be an uphill battle, and it's not going to be as good. Yeah. By the way, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I believe people are joining us, and that's really cool. Always, please make sure, uh, please make sure that you are paying attention uh, because we're going to be talking about fun things, and I want you to tune in if you have an opinion that you want to share. I know uh, I'd be immensely grateful. Uh, you could let me know, and you could uh, call in so that we can have a conversation. So let's go for the first item. The first thing I'm going to be talking about is who speaks English, uh, because I believe it matters. Of course, it does in in that sense, uh, and in that because uh, if you do not know why, why, and who your uh, like who who your audience is, I believe is too hard. A lot of people in the Middle East, in 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 Asia, in Europe, uh, in North and uh, South America, uh, want to learn English, and they really need that. And we already know that the number of uh, people who are uh, learning English is far more than people who uh, speak the language as their first language. So it is of importance in a sense because apparently the English that uh, like people, like second language learners or uh, other people speak is palpably different than the language that native speakers speak. And for a relatively long time, native speakers decided what should be taught and what what shouldn't and this in the first place i believe is not that problematic but as i told you before in the long run it created a bunch of problems because i believe like native speakers and native teachers want uh like english learners to speak as well as uh they speak which is, I'm not saying impossible, but at least near impossible. And the expectations that I believe native teachers have um, are not realistic to a good extent. By the way, of course, I'm talking about uh, native speakerism. I'm not talking about, for example, a particular uh, teacher. You're just, uh, just together, we're just reviewing how this English is emerged, of course. We have a lot of great native teachers, and we also have a lot of great non-native teachers. So I am not honestly advocating for non-native teachers or nor for like uh, native teachers, because I believe 
uh, meritocracy is the best thing possible because if we can <clears throat> teach well and we have classes that are fruitful, uh, it is just better. And we cannot simply go with native native speakers or non-native speakers. I believe that is something that is totally uh, off table and we're not going to be talking about it at all. So, but let's let's go back to the English. So, as a, uh, the English language, as I told you before, so a lot of people all around the world uh, speak this language, and this language has become uh, amends by means of which you can do the impossible. You can talk to people in North America, and you can talk to people in South America. You can talk to people in Europe, and gosh, it is just a great thing. Uh, it is just awesome, and it's just really helpful. But as I told you before, since there are a lot of people learning the English, so we also have uh, like something called uh, the English that normally immigrants or non-native speakers speak, and this is a different thing. So that's why a lot of people believe that that's it. English is uh, like English as a lingua franca or ELF is what it should be. I mean, you don't need anything more than that. You don't need people to be able to speak in a way that, for example, can uh, can be impressive or quote-unquote uh, stunning. What they got to do is to manage to ask for something or, I don't know, reject an invitation or invite somebody to a party or do business with a business partner. So that's all about it, and this is called English as a lingua franca, which to a good extent, I believe, is really uh, realistic, because it's all about it, because you don't want a language uh, sometimes more than that, You because a language is sometimes a means of communication between people from different countries and from different nationalities and from different backgrounds. So that's uh, indeed, may be the thing. So I believe the word English is, is the best one. So we don't have just one language, quote-unquote, that everybody can refer to. I believe it is way more than that. It is uh, spoken in many countries. It's spoken all over the world. So we'd better stop saying, uh, for example, I believe we'd better stop saying American English, British English, uh, because even these terms and these words are not as precise honestly they're not as precise yeah so uh, yeah that's all, that's all about it and that's why i believe english is is really important and uh, and on top of that we also of course have like a version of english that we can we can all understand uh so it is also a great thing i believe because it can help us all out and we can avoid uh, like misunderstandings and so and such. Great. And this is English shiz. So just first off, I just wanted to uh, make sure that I define what that is because to many that might be quite uh, like kind of weird uh, because honestly the first time I heard English shiz, I really thought, oh gosh, like even... Uh, even native speakers can make sometimes terrible mistakes. Uh, later, did I studied and uh, did I study and find found out? Hold on, uh, apparently there is a thing. There is some truth in it, and English is simply is 
uh, referring to a variety of versions of the English language. And apparently, uh, there, there are like many different types and forms because, like, for example, you have ESL, and, uh, and ESL learners are often immigrants. We have, for example, EFL, uh, which is very close to ESL. By the way, ESL stands for uh, English as a Second Language, and EFL stands for English as a Foreign Language. So the reason why these two things are different is the fact that ESL learners are often immigrants, so they need to know everything about the language from for example, filling up a form when it comes to your taxes, for example, or how to uh, talk when you take part, I don't know, uh, let's say uh, in, a, in a job interview or something of such. But when it comes to EFL, uh, English uh, as a foreign language, mainly and predominantly it's about people who are studying English at a home, uh, at a home, and they are not in, let's say, uh, those countries. They're, they're in their home country. And they are just studying English, and uh, and they need English because uh, they want to understand, I don't know, books better. And in some cases that they gotta talk to a friend or a colleague, uh, they are you know they want to make sure that they are able to pull that off. So we also have, for example, uh, ESP, and ESP, as you might know. Uh, stands for English for Specific Purposes. So these, for example, uh, students have a like a clearly defined, let's say, professional or vocational need. So they know exactly what they need, or at least uh, the teacher, the instructor should know what they exactly need. Otherwise, as I told you before, it is going to be a colossal waste of time and money. So ESP is also really important. For example, if you've got a learner who's planning to, I don't know, to, uh, planning to become a business person, or he is in uh, such industries like, for example, oil and gas, uh, this student should be taught something at least to a very good extent different than someone who is studying English just for the sake of it. I believe these are very different things. So we have, like, there's no shortage of uh, acronyms. We have ESP, we have EST, which is English for Science and Technology, and it goes on and on. We have A, uh, we have EAP, which is uh, English for Academic Purposes. So the reason why we have such acronyms, ESP and also EAP, and then we have ESL, so and such, is just to make sure that we know exactly who our students are. Otherwise, as I told you before, despite your hard work, despite the tenacity of the teacher, uh, the result is never going to be advantageous, which is, of course, a shame because teachers are great people. They always work hard and they do their best. Uh, and when the outcome is just uh, lousy and no good, it is, it is just simply off-putting. And, and that's no good. I believe this is not what teachers normally got to do. I believe uh, syllabus designers, curriculum designers, those people, or the, the, you know, the, the authorities who choose the books, I believe, uh, in schools and institutes got to make sure that they have made wise and informed decisions. Otherwise, it is going to be 
uh, chaotic and the result is not going to be more than catastrophic. So uh, that's uh, all about it. Uh, so let's go for the news. Let's listen to the news. And then afterwards, I'm going to be talking about content-based language teaching, something that I think is just beautiful. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. We have previously reported on the issue of student accommodation, focusing on rising costs and declining quality of places to rent. Shortages of suitable housing have further added to problems for many. This week, the BBC featured reports of protests by some students at what they describe as appalling conditions and extortionate rents at a university-owned block of flats near the University of Northampton. According to the report, residents paid £153 a week for a single ensuite room, but there were complaints of a lack of running water. A university spokesman said it had no record of complaints. However, a spokesperson for the student group said the complaints were repeated year after year. The university further said that the rent issue had been resolved to students had paid an additional charge caused by an admin error. This has now been refunded. An apology has also been issued. Staying with higher education, BBC Newsnight reports on the rise of anti-Semitism at UK universities. The Union of Jewish Students said the spike was nothing like anything seen before. The report comes at a time when experts have also warned of rising reports of Islamophobic incidents. Groups who monitor hate crimes in the UK say the conflict is now being played out on university campuses nationwide. The government has provided £43 million to protect interfaith communities and said perpetrators of hate crime would face the full force of the law. The Guardian featured a report that schools in England are using Airbnb-style strategies to raise funds. The article says many are renting out every available space from classrooms to canteens. Renting out spaces for community use is not new, 
but there has been an increase in the innovative use of spaces. One primary school says it has rented out its light-filled white corridor for photo shoots, whilst another offers a stationary double-decker bus used as a classroom to those who might want to make quirky films. Dedicated online platforms are helping schools make the most of their spaces beyond the obvious playing fields and main halls with the founder of the Sharesy website saying they have even helped schools rent out their car parks for puppy training lessons. The line between education and commercialism is becoming increasingly blurred as school leaders attempt to close the funding gap, especially after a government said it had miscalculated funding announced in July, slashing £370 million from the announced budget. Schools Week feature issues being faced by specialist settings in the North East, as the area, like many others, sees significant increases in the numbers of children and young people with additional needs. This is in addition to an already large backlog of those needing additional support. The piece by Chris Zaraga, Director of Schools North East, describes a system that, by the halfway point of the autumn term, is already at capacity. Specialist and alternative provisions are struggling to cope. While Saraga accepts that this is a national problem, he points out that it is particularly bad in the northeast, as in the 10-year period between 2012 and 2022, there was a 145.43% increase in the number of pupils with an EHCP being suspended from schools. He also argues that the solution cannot simply be more or larger specialist settings, but improve support for pupils within mainstream schools. Zaraga ends with a call for a strategic plan, more resources and expertise from across the sector to be listened to. In Northern Ireland schools, already dealing with action short of strike by teachers from five teaching unions due to issues over pay, could now face further disruption. The BBC reports that there will be strike action on the 16th of November by members of Unison, Unite, the GMB and NIPSA, who, between them, represent thousands of non-teaching staff. These include bus drivers, school catering staff, classroom assistants and cleaners. The strike action is over the failure to reform pay and cuts to the overall education budget. BBC News Northern Ireland has been told that the action will mean that many, if not all, schools will have to close. Finally, a primary school in Birmingham made the local news after it introduced a small farm which includes alpacas, goats and chickens. In spring, it also houses lambs needing to be hand-reared after being rejected by their mothers. St Michael's C of E Primary School is in one of Birmingham's most deprived wards, but the farm was introduced to help encourage children and the wider community to engage more broadly. Nearby residents have also created an allotment which is used by the school and the community. Children take part in looking after the plants and animals, although scooping up the poop remains a weekly task for the school's head teacher. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Fantastic. Fantastic. Hello again, everybody. You're listening to Teachers Talk Radio. This is Hardy Fat. He and we are talking about my favorite subject, 
teaching. And in this very episode, we're talking about the Englishes, and uh, and I told you why I believe it is so important to know what it is and what it is not, because it can help us to teach what matters, and it can of course help us out what not to teach. Uh, because you should be, of course, very deliberate about it. If you want to teach whatever you can discriminately, of course, I believe it's unfair. Because you're simply not helping the students effectively to the best of your ability. Why not invest in something that matters? And why not focus on that so that your students can benefit from that? And you can help them, of course, tremendously. And you are more successful. Right. Uh, by the way, this is not what teachers normally should decide on. This is what like authorities should decide uh, normally on, like to choose a good course book or at least to put together uh, something that students can uh, benefit from and uh, teachers alike. So let's go and let's go. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, as I told you before, content-based language teaching. And it is important, and if you ask me why, I got to tell you that, because content-based language teaching is fun. And and I wish, uh, like more schools and more institutions could do that, of course, pulling that off is no easy task. Uh, but I believe if, if it was at least uh, more... Uh, let's say ubiquitous and more common, I believe teachers and students could uh, tremendously benefit from it. So content-based language teaching, uh, some call it CBLT, which has a lot to do with CLIL. To me, they're not that different because they put emphasis on content. Let me uh, explain. For example, when you have students wanting to learn English, you teach them like how to talk, you teach them grammar, you teach them vocabulary. Normally, you teach what you got to teach, and you, for example, uh, may not necessarily be teaching, let's say, math, uh, I don't know, geometry, literature, or something of such. But when it comes to content-based language teaching, this is the case. And as a result, I believe the lesson is more gripping. The lesson is much more gripping. Uh, Zoltan Durnayi, uh, who was a great sociolinguist, once said, there is nothing inherently interesting about teaching English. It is interesting when you teach, for example, let's say present perfect, and then, besides that, you also let them know that Shackleton or someone uh, in the past did something and they set a record, and that record to this very day hasn't been broken. That is fun to know about what Shackleton did. That is fun to know about Usain Bolt. That is fun to know about that this man, Usain Bolt, could run 100 meters in less than 10 seconds. It is, to a very good extent, stunning and, 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 of course, exciting, and students are into it. But there is literally nothing interesting about, like, the mere fact that present perfect is just present perfect. 
So I believe in that regard, CLIL and content-based language teaching can be very important. And don't get me wrong, it is not just about the, the, the content, like to teach them, for example, let's say math, or to teach them uh, just literature, quite the opposite. Of course, it is about that as well. Yet on top of that, there are three important C's when it comes to uh, CLIL or CBLT. Communication. Uh, students got to be able communicate to communicate well especially they got to be uh, able to communicate content they got to be able to talk to one another and they talk about what they believe and also understand what their classmates think and what they tell them so that the that's the first one communication the second one is going to be about cognition so students should also learn to be able to think and they got to learn thinking skills so linguistic of course, skills are important, but at the same time, extra linguistic skills, namely critical thinking and uh, or, or being able to think outside the box or to think analytically or to or to be, uh, I don't know, good at something so and creative and come up with new ideas. So it's it's all about cognition and extra linguistic skills. And last, but of course not least, is culture. The students also got to learn to be able to, uh, for example, learn about uh, the culture and, uh, and they got to know about what's common, what's not, uh, and so on and so forth. So it is also of tremendous importance. So that's why I believe like CLIL or C, uh, uh, content-based language teaching is really good because that's very clear what you got to teach and what you shouldn't teach. For example, like uh, for a business person who, or for a young learner who wants to learn the language, I believe teaching very advanced adjectives uh, is literally useless uh, because, because they're not going to use it and they're not going to even need uh, so why bother teach something that they won't need and they shouldn't be taught? So that is something uh, we got to pay special attention to. I mean, it is so simple to go on the Internet and simply uh, look for like 10 advanced adjectives. And you'll see that there is a myriad, honestly, of information and misinformation like words, honestly, I can't remember, uh, like the last time I myself used the word, let's say, flabbergasted. Honestly, this is not a common word, and not many people use the word flabbergasted. Uh, I mean, flabbergasted is just a good example, honestly. Um, so, so there's no need to teach what your students won't need, and uh, so why bother uh, teach those items? Instead, we can teach what matters, uh, because for a student learning to communicate or learning about how they can be more creative with the language makes, I believe, way more sense. So uh, there's also something I really want to be talking about, which is called the core items. So core items and non-core items are really important uh, because core items are those really important parts and bits of the language that learners gotta know and and, and when it comes to non-core items we're talking about the things that aren't 
as important. Uh, things, for example, to know that, for example, when it comes to present perfect, uh, yeah, you're, for example, in a sense that you're talking about your experiences, uh, you normally do not use uh, the time. What do I mean is, for example, what I mean is, for example, you normally do not say, I have done it last year. I mean, that's not, not normally uh, how you talk about it. But I believe in a conversation that two business people, two business partners are having, there is nothing wrong with that. Because first, it doesn't, I believe, cause any misinterpretation and misunderstanding. Second, uh, they can understand each other. So what's the problem? So interrupting and saying, for example, oh, you just made a mistake. Then uh, you use present perfect. You'd better not use uh, the exact time. We don't normally do so. I believe it's not going to help them. Uh, of course, in some situations, that can cause confusion. And of course, that's where and when, as a teacher, we got to intervene and we got to make sure that those people know those things. But I believe it is simply uh, up to the context and the situation. Otherwise, correction makes no sense. Teaching and uh, spending time teaching, like little nuances, I believe, can't be of any help. Literally, any help. So this this is why I believe first we gotta know the needs of the uh, you no know, audience that your your uh, students uh, is that English as a lingua franca is that uh, something that they need for example at university is that something that you will need for example at work or something of such and uh, yeah and by the way let me know what you think. If you agree with me, it would be cool to drop a message and let me know what you think. If you also have an opinion that you want to share, why not call in and then we can have a conversation. So <clears throat> right now, I just wanted to tell you about one more thing. There's something called proper English. And, uh, and honestly speaking, I could never fully grasp what it meant and what it means because what do you mean by proper english proper english i believe is as equivocal as the word english is because it's not that clear what do you mean by that like when you say proper english do you mean that when i'm talking to a friend i gotta say i want you to help me out instead of saying i need your help and do I need to say, I want a glass of water or I want a coffee at a coffee shop? Is that really proper English? Because if that's proper English, then why native speakers don't do that? For example, I believe it is <clears throat> too strange to talk to a friend and say, do you want me to, for example, order a coffee for you? I believe it is kind of strange because no one does that. People do it like one word, coffee, coffee, uh, tea, tea. Want to go out? Let's go out. No one goes with long and, 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 and cumbersome convoluted sentences just to convey something as little as one coffee. So, uh, yeah, so proper English is, again, one of those words that I could never understand to this very day, I believe it is one of the most equivocal things ever. Uh, yeah, 
again, I believe the context, the situation matters, the needs, uh, I believe, are as important. But anything other than that, I believe, is going to be not as important, and it is to a very good extent secondary. So, and I believe this should also be taught. Like, uh, for example, I believe uh, English learners never learn to speak like that, and in and, and honestly, in, in practice, it is just a bad thing. For example, uh, a teacher won't, uh, I believe, I believe, well, definitely correct a student who, for example, wants uh, a piece of paper and goes, paper. I believe the teacher would say, oh, uh, repeat after me, I want a piece of paper, which is, I believe, not that helpful. And then the fun thing is that in course books, that is what the students uh, learn uh, as, quote-unquote, ellipsis and substitution and it should be like advanced or at least upper intermediate to be taught this like and i was always baffled like why uh, say that no that's no true and then later say that oh you got to learn this uh it was always a fathomless mystery to me why on the fir- in the first place uh, we, we should not teach them and indeed we should correct them but later uh we ought to teach them Okay, if you know, I believe right now you can drop a message and let me know what you think, because I believe it is it is a fun topic to talk about. So, uh, yeah, yeah, let me know. I believe uh, you can let me know what you think. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. I'm back. Great. Uh, again, yeah, the topic 
is about English, what you should teach, what you should not as a language teacher, as an English language teacher, what you should teach, what you shouldn't. Uh, to a very good extent, we teachers know, or at least we assume we know what we teach and what we got to do. But I believe uh, something that is uh, has been neglected is the fact that we do not know what we shouldn't uh, teach. I believe this is also as important, and 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 of course, uh, it can help us uh, teach better and more effectively. For example, uh, what research offers is that uh, when you teach something let's say, for example, a bunch of adjectives, uh, your students can learn the words if they are simple enough and if they are taught well quite easily. And uh, and that won't be problematic at all because they can learn the words and they can practice, they can listen to you. As a teacher, we, pro provi we provide them with examples. And of course, at the end of the day, they can learn the words. Yet, when it comes to something subtle as the third person is, the same thing can't be said. And sometimes it takes days, weeks, months, years, and for some people, it never happens. So I believe as a teacher, if you are teaching your uh, English learner whose purpose is to be able to talk to people from different nationalities and do business with them, I believe that third person is, is not that significant. To a very good extent, it is negligible. Simply ignore it. I believe you shouldn't be uh, working, you shouldn't be teaching uh, the third person is hours and hours because, you're, because your student uh, keeps, forgetting to, keeps forgetting to put it down there uh, after like at the end of the word, at the, at the end of the verb. So I believe it is not as helpful. Or if your learner keeps uh, using simple past instead of uh, past perfect, if it is not causing that big of a confusion, forget about it. Yet again, bear that in mind that the same thing cannot be said about, I don't know, uh, uh, a teacher, a person who, uh, a student who wants to pursue his or her studies uh, at a different university. I believe there, you, since the, the language of science got to be very precise, or at least in this very case, uh, precise, a little precise, so the same thing may not or may or may not be said. What I'm trying to tell you is that we have core items. Uh, those core items are of importance, so you got to be very clear uh, that I am is way different than you are. Uh, but I believe uh, when you say, for example, she go, it is still to a very good extent understandable. And this little mistake is not going to uh, cause global misunderstandings. So that's why I believe you should know what you uh, talk about. So uh, there's the same thing can also be said about uh, simple past. Uh, sometimes uh, students use the word yesterday, but the verb is still in the present tense. And then the teacher keeps interrupting and keeps correcting. Uh, again, I, I do not have a problem with correct English and with pedagogical English. Uh, but I believe problems arise when teachers make a fuss over something that is not as important 
when they can invest their time in something different that can uh, help students uh, benefit tremendously, they unfortunately uh, waste their time correcting something uh, that was not as important in the first place. The reason why I'm using pedagogic English uh, is that I just want to make it clear that there's no such thing as proper English because the word proper uh, means like suitable to the situation. So I believe when you're talking to your friend, that's one version of proper English. When you're hanging out with your colleagues at work, that's a different proper English. And when you're talking to your professor at university or when you're talking to your students, they are different well, like forms and styles of English. So there's no such thing as proper English. Uh, there are also two ideas to like, let's say schools of thought, like descriptive and then prescriptive, uh, let's say, uh, grammar. Uh, when it comes to pres uh, prescriptive, we're talking about traditional English. We're talking about the very correct, precise English that um, no one is speaking anymore. And, and we are also talking about descriptive English, which is all about the language that is spoken, right? But we also have pedagogical English, and that is the English that is pedagogically right like in terms of grammar it's okay and understandable um like and and don't get me wrong i told you before there's nothing wrong with correct pedagogical english but i'm just saying it is something that is evolving apparently for example in 2006 if you checked the lineman dictionary you'd uh, see that when you uh, looked for the meaning of the word recommend uh linemen would go with really big uh notices like don't use this word don't use recommend with to and then with somebody in other words we, we can, you cannot recommend something to somebody uh it would go like recommend doing something or in the subjunctive you'd recommend somebody do something but after some years, if you do that in almost uh, every dictionary, you'll see that recommend somebody to do something right now has become proper English, quote-unquote. And this is a word that apparently uh, can use, and there's nothing uh, wrong with that. So first, there's no such thing as proper English. I believe everything depends upon the context. Uh, besides that, apparently English, uh, uh, the language is evolving and changing. So that's why I believe you got to be ultra cautious. So uh, this is this is of importance to teach what you should be teaching and what you shouldn't be teaching. Uh, if you do not know that exactly, I believe uh, teaching is going to be an uphill battle is going to be too hard it's going to be so complicated um, and let's make english not that let's say complicated for example again there's nothing wrong with advanced eloquent uh articulate language there's nothing wrong with that as uh told you before problems arise when language is not understandable and it is incomprehensible to me like why people would use words and would use the structures that not only make it uh, like make it harder to understand, but like the language is going to be like a puzzle that you should honestly 
pay a lot of attention. Otherwise, you wouldn't understand what that person is talking about. So I was reading a book, honestly, the other day, and uh, I'm not going to tell you what the name of the book was, but it was written in a way that you thought uh, you had to be a monk to tolerate the complexity, the syntactical variety and complexity of the uh, of the book. I was not reading uh, the book to feel uh, bad. I was reading the book to understand what was in the book as effortlessly as possible. And the book was in 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 like. Uh, in contrast with the whole nature of knowledge, which is uh, which is all about sharing ideas, and then by means of which help the humanity uh, evolve and grow and make uh, progress. So that's why I believe uh, we should not be teaching, for example, the third conditional uh, of the, for example, the third conditional in a way uh, that can make your uh, make make your uh, students feel. Uh, that they hate the language. Uh, so why not teach them, for example, third conditional when they absolutely need it? Uh, let's not teach it just because you got to teach it. I, I, of course, I believe third conditional sentences can be of help. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying teach them when they absolutely need it. Why teach them when they don't need it yet? Uh, the same thing can be said about many, many, many different words, many, many, many um, ideas. So uh, that is really important. And I know, I know, uh, like native teachers and non-native teachers are both, I believe, uh, guilty of this. Because when you want to teach something, of course, you always make sure the content you're teaching is uh, something new, something that they may not have heard a lot about. And then because of that, you end up teaching something that is no real and no realistic. And no one uses that word. No one is going to use that word. Uh, and you just teach that because you just wanted it to be new. Uh, uh, I believe something that YouTube has done to the language, uh, especially when it comes to the English language, something that Instagram, I believe, uh, has done to the language, uh, sometimes uh, has its drawbacks. Of course, uh, these two platforms have been tremendously helpful but sometimes, te sometimes teaching words that uh, that are not going to help my student express themselves better is a huge waste of time and energy. Why not teach the core items or the things that they need today, right now? Why not focus on those items? When you teach something that they might not need, they may never need, uh, they are not. They're not going to learn them, because because we have, of course, we want the students to learn, but we also have the acquisition. And if uh, students uh, are not exposed with the language enough, they're not going to learn it, right? So if something does not really exist in the real world, I believe should not be taught. Uh, instead, we can focus on better stuff, and and then by means of which we can help our uh, students tremendously. And, and then that's super fun, uh, I believe. There's also uh, something uh, that Michael, uh, Michael Swan once said, which was, which was really fun. And then and, 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 uh, and Michael Swan goes, we need to remind ourselves that language teaching does not mean 
teaching language, making sure that the students are exposed to the highest priority uh, language forms, words, fixed phrases, structures, aspects of pronunciation, that they learn and practice these forms and they and that they become skilled at using them fluently and appropriately. So I believe sometimes teaching uh, a, a language is way more than that and you got to pay attention to different aspects and respects of uh, of a language and uh, the the tremendous focus the overwhelming focus on form like you got to make sure that your language you always make sure that you always put this word before that word or you put that word before uh, behind the other one is also causing a lot of confusion uh, and sometimes the correction that happens is no exact at all. For example, uh, the word very technically should be used uh, in the following way. You should say something, a process, uh, it is a very hard process. So, or it is a very complicated process. That's apparently uh, is the quote-unquote proper uh, pedagogical English, but uh, but if your student said it is very a proper uh, or a uh, complicated process, uh, the teacher might stop them and say, "Oh, that's that's wrong. That's not correct English." You put "very" just right before the adjective. You should say it is uh, a very hard or complicated process. But we know that in uh, spoken English and when you speak the language, very can be put uh, just uh, a little in a different location, let's say. You can say it is very a complicated process. So sometimes uh, the correction that happens is not helping. Indeed, it is doing the opposite, which is counterproductive. And that's, that's, that's completely wrong, but that is uh, something that keeps happening almost every single uh, day in classrooms. So, by the way, everybody, uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, it is Teachers Talk Radio. I hope you found the topic interesting. To me, it's been super fun, honestly, to talk about English, what should be taught and what shouldn't be taught, uh, because I believe it can help us all tremendously to identify what matters and what doesn't matter as much. I believe uh, there's literally nothing, uh, let's say, uh, negligible when it comes to teaching. You can teach whatever you can. You can teach uh, as much as possible. Uh, but of course, I believe there is uh, always a priority uh, that you can adhere to, uh, and this can help your students. And of course, uh, you as a teacher or as a uh, curriculum curriculum designer alike. So everybody, I just got to take off and um, wish you nothing but the best. Hope you enjoyed the show. It was Teachers Talk Radio. Follow us on Twitter. And uh, and my name is Hadi Fatih, and I hope you enjoyed the show. We are going to have this show every other Wednesday at 6 o'clock UK time. That's all about it. Bye-bye, everybody. 
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.